Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege to come together as a church, uh, to hear from your word, to sing songs to you. And we pray as we um, focus on you tonight. that all the things that are running in our hearts and mind uh, will just stop. That your word, your truth will take center stage. That you would take center stage. And that we'll walk away knowing you more tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, welcome to Canterbury Gardens. I'm looking around, I'm looking, going, there's a lot of Canterbury Gardens people already here, so... Should I say welcome? Yeah, I probably should. Uh, welcome to Canterbury Gardens Community Church. If you're visiting, a special welcome to you. Um, as, Zach, as, as Zach mentioned, this is a part of our third service. This is a trial. We're giving it a go. We're going to see how God's going to shape it uh, over the coming months. Uh, we're going to do it at the uh, last Sunday of every month. Uh, we have three services. Uh, if you're visiting, if you just popped in, we actually have three services. We have a 9 a.m. service, a 10.30 service that holds a kids' church as well, and then tonight, obviously, 7 p.m. Uh, over the coming months, we're, we're going to be focusing on a specific topic. Uh, you, I hope you have sort of seen the theme already, and that theme is the idea of the cross and dot, dot, dot. Um, the idea is that this cross, this thing behind me... Uh, Really, if you think about it, in our popular culture that we look at, particularly if you watch any kind of music videos and so on, you will see it seen as bling. And, and maybe you wear it around your neck already. But if you think about it, the cross is a torture symbol. Now, back in the day, it wasn't really something you looked at and go, oh, wow, look at that cross, isn't that beautiful? Uh, you would be disgusted by it. And this cross would just stay as a, a torture symbol as, star, um, as such, but it's changed. The reason why it's changed is because someone died on the cross. And his name is Jesus. See, if Jesus hadn't died on the cross, this cross would be not of any significance at all. It would just be part of history. But because he did die on it, it's made it very significant. And we uh, wanted to start our service very clearly proclaiming something, that we wanted to make it about Jesus. We are uh, three services, if God shapes it that way, with three different kind of vibes in some sense, but we all worship the same Jesus. That's our heart. There's a guy by the name of uh, Herbert George Wells. Uh, he's probably known better as H.G. Wells. Uh, he was an English writer. Uh, he was a historian. Uh, he wrote novels. Uh, he was really into politics. He was a social commentator. And he loved writing things about rules and war games. But this is what he said about Jesus. He said, I'm a historian. And I'm not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. This is what H.G. Wells was quoted to say. I mean, what about today? Is Jesus relevant today? Well, one of our modern-day poets by the name of Katy Perry has a tattoo on her wrist, and it says Jesus on her left wrist. She got a tattoo as a contestant, as a constant reminder of her up, uh, religious upbringing. If you didn't know, Katy Perry's parents are pastors, 
And, and this is what she said. She was in an interview, and this is what she said. I knew I wanted this on me because no matter how much changes around me, how much I change, there's not really an eraser for this. She says that when she plays the guitar, it stares right back at me. It's like, remember, you came from this, and you can always go back to it. Now, I don't know where Katie's relationship is at with Jesus, but either way, Jesus is still very relevant. Whether you either don't like him or you just use him as a curse word during the week, or he is someone as passionately you are in relationship with. And in the first few verses that was read by, um, by Nikki in Colossians, we wanted to make something very clear. We told of a reality. In verse 7, he talks about he, was del- he has delivered us, that's Jesus, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church. This church uh, is going through some challenges. Uh, and the challenge is that um, there's this sort of group coming in and they're trying to shift and change, in particular, who Jesus is. That's probably what's going on. It's known as a heresy. They're, they're trying to change it around. It almost sounds very subtle. And so from the very start, Paul wants to make it very clear who he's talking about. And he's reminding uh, this church. And uh, in these verses, he's uh, trying to really pull it out. In the previous verses, he actually talks about he's praying for the church. If you want to know what he's praying about, he goes into quite detail. You get a feel for his love for this church. And he's about to finish off his prayer, but then he wants to remind them again where they had come from, what has happened in their life. He says that they've been delivered from from something into a new kingdom, that they've been given redemption and forgiveness. I think sometimes in our walk, in our relationship with Jesus, wherever you are on the spectrum, we sometimes have an identity crisis. I think often we forget who we are. I think uh, we don't realize that uh, the cross and, and this idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ brings something into reality. And that's two realities. And one is the reality is that if you don't know Jesus, you are in a kingdom. And that kingdom is very dark. It's very ugly. But there's another kingdom that is the kingdom that where Jesus reigns as king. He's the ruler. And this is what the, this whole conversation is talking to Paul is saying to the church. Listen, you were here, you were in the darkness. Lord of the Rings, Mordor, dark, ugly, not cool, evil. And you've been transferred into the kingdom of light. Now, we live in Australia. You might be sitting here thinking, well, I look around, I don't have any sort of terrorism going around and, and so on, but we, it doesn't have to go too far to realize there is darkness. There's death, there's pain, there's anger. But the, the Bible is talking about a greater darkness and there's a darkness in our hearts. It's like a poison. And it's infected all of humanity since the beginning. See, we need to lay a foundation. Whether you know this or you don't know this, you need to realize that God is the creator of the universe. When he created the world, he made it absolutely beautiful. He made it perfect. He put mankind in there, man and woman, to be under his loving, caring authority. 
And then temptation comes in and sin comes in and that changes everything. They pretty much say, if you want to know what sin is, it's, it's much more than saying the um, bad word or it's much more than uh, stealing and, and, and those things, those are effects of what's really going on in our hearts. There's a poison, there's a darkness. It's ultimately saying to God, I am God, you're not God, I'm in charge, take a back seat. And so that's what happens when sin comes in, evil came in. And God, in His goodness, because of who He is, all of His character is good and love, He comes and says, well, I'm going to pursue you despite of what you've done. I'm going to send someone. His name is Jesus. He's my son. And He will die on a cross. He'll pay for your rebellion, my rebellion. But not only that, on the third day, He'll be raised again. So Jesus goes to the cross, is humiliated, he's killed, murdered for our sin, but then he's risen and he ushers in a new reality. And then that reality is now he says, well, you can follow me. You can be part of my kingdom. So turn and follow me. See, this is the gospel in, in, in summary. And in light of that, for those of us who know Jesus, we're called to go and show that reality, speak that reality, love and, and, and share our good news to the people around us. So that's the foundation Paul is setting for this church. He's reminding them where they've been, who they are now. But now, verses 15 onwards, it's like he is about to bring out the full high-definition TV with the 3D glasses put them on, and now display the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in full surround sound HD definition. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. At the start of the service, we play that video. It's a famous um, sermon by an African-American preacher. The question was asked, do you know him? Do you really know him? I've got a confession to make to you tonight. I've had the privilege to speak on that passage quite a few times, even here at my Sunday morning. And this time as I was preparing, I had to literally confess to God, forgive me, because all I'm doing is just kind of reading it. Not letting the words of who it speaks of consume my heart. It's because there's a reality that's going on in all of us. Whether you realize it or not, there is things around you that are calling to you to make you listen to it. I don't know if you realize this, that you're constantly being preached at. You are constantly being preached at with sermons, through songs, through the TV, through what people tell you. They're all sermons 
telling you this is what you need to believe, this is what you need to follow, this is who you need to listen to, this is what you need to buy, this is what you need to look like. And there's this noise, constant background noise. And, and it just drifts away, and the oneness just really sort of melts away. Uh, often, uh, just down Liverpool Road, there's a paddock of horses, and every time we drive past, my kids, every time, look, Daddy, the horses, oh, cool. They get really excited about it. And I've driven past that paddock so many times now, and seen the same horses, they're not doing much but eating grass. My kids are really excited about it, but every time I drive past, I'm like, eh. I think we lose sight. And I think sometimes Jesus and who he is becomes like a distant noise for whatever reason. Friends, this Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, meaning that he is God himself. When you read about Jesus, when you sing about Jesus, when you reflect on Jesus, you are seeing God himself. This means there's no one like him. There will no one be anyone like him to come. He's the true, perfect image bearer of God. And you know what? That's amazing. That means you and I can have a relationship with the creator of the universe through this Jesus. And when it talks about that all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, Jesus is the source. He is in charge. It's all under his authority. Now, we don't see this here in Australia. Uh, we probably the closest thing we have is the air show at Avalon. But in other nations, they have this moment where they sort of pull out all their military sort of um, warfare stuff to say how powerful and mighty they are. And in those moments, we look and we might be in awe. We might go, oh, my goodness, look how much firepower they have. This passage is to remind us, listen, Jesus rules. He is the loving ruler, but Jesus outrules every other ruler that there is, whether there are dominions of darkness like demons or dominions in this world. He is in control. And from then on, just sort of skipping a little bit further, he talks about Jesus being the head of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that everything might be preeminent in him. Uh, if you want to use our language, Jesus is the senior pastor of every Christ-centered, God-glorifying church that is in the world, whether if that is the local church or that is the global church. And a simple note I want to make here very clearly. Be very careful how you talk about the church, how you talk about other churches. That's Jesus' bride. He loves her. He died for her. I know that if someone decides to bag out my beautiful wife, there are emotions that pent up in me that are probably not good emotions. Jesus loves his church. The idea of firstborn of all creation is to say when Jesus rose from the dead, he brought in a new reality. And that means that there's a day coming, there will be no death, no sting, that Jesus is bringing in this, he's slowly bringing it all into play. That means if you are in Jesus, when you're risen, new body, new everything, no sin, no decay. 
in verse 19, when it talks about him being the fullness of God, was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What it's talking about is Jesus. God brings his son, Jesus, like God is flexing. And he's flexing very strongly through his son to bring peace. It's a good friend of mine. Uh, she lives in San Diego, and she has become, um, I guess, a self-proclaimed guru. She practices um, meditation. She has classes. She has followers. Um, it's amazing, the conversations that we've had. Um, and she talks about peace, and she talks about inner peace, finding inner peace. But guess what? She's constantly looking for inner peace, always on the lookout for peace. This week, um, Elisha and my son, we're driving and we're listening to a song and it talks about God's bringing peace and uh, me being all smart, dad, time for a lesson to my son and teach him a lesson about peace and God. Uh, the song comes on and, and I said to Elisha, hey Elisha, what, what, what do you think peace means? And Elisha's a bit of a thinker, I think, so he's sort of quiet, looks out the window, not saying much. I'm like, oh, he didn't hear my question. And he goes, Jesus? and just keeps humming. And I'm opening my mouth to go, well, actually, technically, he's right. (laughs) And in that moment, it's like a reminder for us that true peace can only come through Jesus Christ. And that means that peace is talking about peace between us and God can only come through Jesus. It's not going to come through us going to church every Sunday, Sunday night. You might have been to church on 9 a.m., 10.30, or even 7 p.m. That does not make you at peace with the creator of the universe unless you have a relationship with Jesus. doesn't mean if you go to a Christian school. doesn't mean all the good things you could do. The only way you can have peace is through Jesus Christ. And in light of that, Paul finishes with these verses that are talking about that they were once alienated, hostile in mind. He's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul is painting this picture of Jesus. It's high definition. It's glorious. It's beautiful. It's meant to stir up awe in the listeners. And then he says, now in light of that, remember what Jesus has done. That you, before knowing Jesus, you were hostile in mind. Everything about you did not like the idea having someone lovingly rule and care for you. But yet, despite of our hostility, Jesus comes. Have you ever pondered on that thought? That the creator of the universe, despite of our hostility, still came chasing after us. He does not need us. But yet, he pursues us. And he brings reconciliation. That's, that's, there's a change of heart. And as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, there should be a warming towards him. And that begins with the relationship with Jesus. So all of it, we wanted to really summarize to say it all begins with Jesus and ends with Jesus. At the start of the service, we ask, do you know him? We're not talking about just on Sundays or at small group. 
But do you really know him? Maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe you've grown up at this church at Canary Gardens and you've gone through all the hoops. Do you need to refresh again in your relationship with Jesus? Maybe you know him, but in some sense he's just become, eh, just information. Maybe you think you've gone too far and there's no way that Jesus could love you, but guess what he did? He came from heaven to pursue you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. So the question goes, how can we keep our focus on Jesus? How can we not stray away? Well, verse 23 actually talks about that. And ultimately it's saying we remember the cross, we remember the gospel. This idea of not shifting from the hope of the gospel you heard. There's going to be constant waves coming at you to make you to shift to everything else but the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, I proclaim this to you. And you know what? This gospel is going to be proclaimed till the end of time. So friends, some things I want to leave with you. Do you really know Jesus? Do you really know him? Secondly, have you lost sight? Has your hope shifted? To something else other than Jesus Christ. So tonight we want to remind ourselves of Jesus. We want to remind ourselves afresh again. In a little bit, I'm going to invite you to come up and partake in communion. The bread that we're about to eat is a symbol of what Jesus did on the cross. It was his body broken for mankind on our behalf. He died on the cross. And he broke this with his disciples and followers and said, take, do this in remembrance of me as a symbol of the body that was broken. And this grape juice that we have, he also poured some wine and said this blood that was shed for us as a reminder. But it ushers in a new reality that we can have relationship with the creator of the universe through Jesus Christ. If you want to know more about that, come and chat to us. But if you know him, can I encourage you, maybe now, wherever you are sitting, I'm going to give you a few minutes just to be still, to remind yourself again about Jesus. And then when you're ready, please come up to the tables here, break some bread, eat it with great joy, drink the grape juice in remembrance of the forgiveness that Jesus offers. So I'll give you a few minutes just to be still and I'll invite you up in a minute. Um, Jesus, we just pause in our busy week and the week that's about to begin, to remind ourselves again of who you are. For those of us who have lost hope, refresh us. For those of us who are feeling a bit distant, remind us of how you're pursuing us. For those of us who are know you well and growing, encourage us. So we do this in remembrance of you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Uh, when you're ready, please feel free to come up. There's only two stations here. Uh, shows my lack of faith. I wasn't expecting so many people. Um, we would welcome you to come, uh, partake it. If you have a relationship with Jesus, uh, please come and partake it. If you don't know Jesus, don't, don't feel uh, uncomfortable. Just stay where you are. But come and talk to us about what that means as well. So please come up, have some bread, have some grape juice, and when you're ready, go grab a seat. Um, if you have any questions about what was said tonight, um, please come and chat to us. It would be good to have a conversation. I'm going to invite uh, a special guest up um, here tonight. There she is. Um, my beautiful wife. Give a round of applause. Now, <clears throat> honey, one of these chairs I made this morning, <laughs> I'm not sure which is safe. Ooh, no, this one. Sit on this one. That one's moving. Trust me. So this one, the wobbly one, that's me. That one was made, sorry. If I fall, you can have a good laugh at me, not at my wife. Um, that's for you. So Beck and I have been on a bit of a journey the last couple of years. And um, we talked about Jesus. We talked about the gospel uh, and the need for the gospel to be fresh and relevant. Um, and when I chatted to Beck earlier, um, a couple of weeks ago, and asked, would you be interested in... Oh, okay. Um, would you be interested in sharing a little bit of a story of what's been happening? So we've got some questions. Pray that we don't have a domestic. Um, can we get into it? Yeah. We good? Yeah. All right. Hi. <laughs> You'll have to put the microphone. Is it? Oh, it's oh. working. Yeah. How's it going? All right. You okay? Yeah. Cool. Kids are hopefully asleep. Um, do you want to tell us, for those of us um, who don't know you, tell us a bit about yourself, like where'd you grow up, family? Um, well, the bits of that that are relevant to this discussion tonight. Um, a big family, a Christian family, um, pretty conservative, I would say, in terms of the denomination we grew up in and the Christian tradition, maybe even legalistic at times. Um, a bit about myself um, that's helpful, that, you know, kind of gives background to the lessons I've been learning. I'm a bit of an introvert. I think a lot. I chew a lot. I'm not very good at formulating all of that into words. Um, hence my notes, and hopefully some of it makes sense tonight. Um, I like lists. I like ticking things off. I like formulas. I like control. I hate being weak. I hate... I hate appearing weak. Um, does that tell you a bit about me? <laughs> I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Yeah, all those sorts of things. Um, uh, Bible stories and Bible verses have been part of my life for as long as I can remember. Right way back, um, I remember Michelle Blair teaching me Sunday school. That's going back. Not saying anything about you but me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that came out wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, um, um, I've been a churchgoer all my life. I've done every Christian activity you could name. Um, yeah, the, the Bible studies, the CRE, the 
Sunday school, the mission nights and mission trips and um, conferences and I've done BSF, I've done Bible college, I've done, yeah, lots of different things. Um, a, maybe a bit of a stereotypical churched upbringing um, very much describes me. Um, I invited Jesus into my heart around the age of 8 to 10. I couldn't tell you exactly when. Baptised, I'm sure I've got the date written down somewhere, but somewhere around 12 or 13. Um, Skip 15 or 20 years. (laughs) You can ask me about that later. Um, When we started having kids, um, that was a bit of a shift, I think, in, well, in everything really. Um, a very challenging season that God has been using to dredge up all manner of things in my heart that I think were always there, but it's the sort of stuff that bubbles to the surface when you're under pressure, a lot of pressure all the time. Um, So it's been a very humbling experience. I've had exposed in me a lot of weakness and sin and pride and um, in particular a huge resistance to God exercising any sort of authority over my life. Um, Very much what you were describing tonight. I didn't read your sermon notes. You read mine obviously. I don't think you'd want to read my sermon. (laughs) Um, But it was really I think out of fear of what terrible things he might do to me or allow in my life, I know and believe that he's sovereign, um, but I think I had a very twisted view of God and his love and his goodness, a misunderstanding of the gospel. Um, I sort of expected that any position of authority that God might hold over my life would be abused. Um, And I, I spent a long time praying prayers to God where I was very upfront in telling him that I was completely unprepared to hand over the reins. I think back to that now and go, gosh, he's a merciful God. He didn't smite me when I say things like that. Uh, That's a very bold thing to say to the God of the universe. I think back to that now, it scares me. Anyway, um, at the same time as... um, you know, holding my ground steadfastly. At the same time, I think I felt very trapped, um, maybe even enslaved would be a good word, um, by all manner of fears and failures, guilt, doubt, um, hopelessness, discouragement, all those sorts of things, Um, all sorts of things hidden in my heart that, you know, I had the nice front on wherever I went, whichever people I'm hanging out with. Um, you wouldn't know that I was thinking those things. Um, I even got to a point of feeling quite unmotivated to even try to combat those things anymore because it would just lead to more failure. Um, I realised I was trying to hang my identity, my security, uh, my acceptance on things like other people's approval or, my, or even my own standard of performance, which is high. I have high expectations of myself especially. I told you that at the start. Um, but those sorts of things, whether my own standard or other people's standard, is constantly changing. So how can you ever find any security in that? Um, none. None at all. 
Um, I knew in my head that surrendering my whole heart and life, my desires, my fears, my needs to God would actually bring relief and peace and hope. Um, But I was absolutely still resisting it. I didn't trust God um, not to play games with my heart and with my life. But I think God has graciously and very gently and very persistently pursued me and showed me what he's really like, what my heavenly father is really like, what his love is really like. We've sung a lot of songs about God's love tonight. Um, I hope everyone was listening. (laughs) So lots of things that God used, um, lots of scriptures, events, people, experiences to begin a huge shift in my understanding of God and his love, particularly as a father. Uh, For example, Proverbs, did a study on Proverbs once and the first nine chapters talk a lot about a father addressing his son. Um, And that father, I'm giving you my summary version, uh, would be utterly heartbroken to see his son meet with trouble, get tangled up in sin or evil and its consequences, or spiral down to death, whether physical or spiritual. On the contrary, that father would be overjoyed, unable to contain his elation to see his son experience life, lasting riches and all manner of blessings. He entreats his son to hear his wisdom, pay attention to it and follow his wise ways that it may go well for him. He desperately wants his son to avoid the way of death and eagerly desires to see him walk the path of life. This is the father heart of God. I learnt heaps from Proverbs. Talk to me about it later. God sent Jesus to rescue us from that downward spiral of sin, from the hopelessness, the fear, the failure, the guilt, whatever it is that you're feeling. Um, our Heavenly Father is not a bully or a harsh old man up in the sky, but a father overwhelmed by love for his children. He is all wise and perfectly reliable and trustworthy. He seeks our good as only a loving and wise parent can foresee at times. He seeks our transformation, not our demise. His heart breaks to see us struggle or suffer. And the offer is always there to fall into his loving arms and seek his comfort, forgiveness, wisdom, truth, all those things. And this shift in my understanding of God's love for me was really the turning point. Um, Not that there was a day and a moment at that time, but that was sort of the beginning. Um, You don't have to ask the next question. I'll just keep talking. Um, I love um, you. (laughs) I'm on a roll. Um, That was what really made the big difference, I think, in me coming to a point of surrender to God. With God's spirit working in me to actually believe that he really does love me, like I love my own children, but way more, um, and to trust that love when it comes to battling my fears or facing the reality of my failures. Um, let me describe a few more ways that, um, that this now is making a difference to my everyday life. Uh, Believing God's love for me also combats the idols of my heart, 
for example, the seeking approval from others thing. If I am loved by my heavenly father with an everlasting love that is not based on performance, then there's nothing to earn, nothing to prove, nothing to attain or maintain. And this is the gospel, not the twisted idea I had before. I am freed from the all-consuming drive to have the approval of those around me and I'm freed freed up to lavish love on other people now that there's no longer so much of me being poured into seeking love and approval for myself. Um, but I must say the degree to which I remember these truths is the degree to which I can actually experience that freedom. I'm prone to forgetfulness, as are we all. Um, this is definitely a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. Um, that surrender of my heart to God, my loving Father, also means that I can now um, honestly acknowledge his loving authority in my life and read verses like in 1 Corinthians 6 it says, uh, you are not your own, you are bought with a price. So to acknowledge, yes, I belong to God, no longer grates every fibre of my being. Um, I just, I used to want to fight that, <laughs> but I don't anymore. I'm, I'm quite okay with that. Um, I can genuinely pray prayers to God like, um, God, what would you have me do? Without adding on to that, a list of conditions of things that I'm absolutely not willing to do. Uh, I still very much battle fears of what difficult things God might ask of me, um, but I think I no longer question his motive in doing so. Um, I, I can only trust that as I wrestle with those things in my heart that God will give me the strength and faith to follow him. So I've definitely not figured out all the answers or got it all together. I feel like I've just scratched the surface actually of, of understanding God's love and what the gospel really is and uh, I feel like it's taken me 30 years to start seeing it and it'll probably take me another 30 years to delve into it. Um, yeah. I'll pause. Um. Instead of sort of wrapping up, honey, is actually what kind of advice would you give to people on a similar journey to you? Um, I'd say don't ignore it. Uh, God will keep tapping you on the shoulder. Wrestle through those issues. Take it seriously. Um, and just ask God, I guess, for clarity to put your finger on what the real hard issues are. Run to him, not away from him. He really does love you, whether you're having trouble believing that right now or not. Um, talk about it. Talk to someone you love, you trust, about the things that you're wrestling with, even if you're a bit scared to say it out loud. That, I mean, that's how I've always felt. I'm saying it out loud right now. I don't even know how many people are here. Way more than what I'm comfortable with. Anyway, now you all know a bit about me. Hopefully you won't use it against me. I won't. <laughs> but yeah, I think secrecy is one thing that Satan will use. Uh, and that's dangerous. Um, talk about it with someone, pray through it, um, and have that person pray with you and walk the journey with you. Yeah, and immerse yourself in lots of 
Jesus-centered, gospel-centered teaching and material and, you know, whether sermons from church or online sermons or books or, I don't know, whatever you can find. Ask Jimmy. He's got lots of ideas and resources. Uh, yep. <laughs> and I really appreciate you sharing. Um, I love you. I think that I can journey with you in this. Um, it's been a joy for us together as a, in our marriage to keep realising how complex and beautiful the gospel is, um, but also how freeing it is when we surrender to that. Um, that's why we're having this conversation. We want to be a church that is okay in having those kind of conversations. I'm going to invite the music team to come up, and in light of who Jesus is, in light of what he's done, uh, we're going to sing some songs and worship him. Uh, so would you join with us in that? Thanks, honey.